circus came to town, the carnival, and they had a strong man's tent. And you could pay a dollar and go in and see him being rebar and straighten out horseshoes and all the things that strong men do. And then the last part, they had a glass, clear glass there, had an orange, and said uh, the strong man is going to clean, squeeze out every drop into that glass. And if anybody, after he squeezed it all out, if anybody wants to come win $100, they come up here and squeeze one drop out of that orange. Well, that strong man got that orange and he flexed his muscles and he got that thing and held it over the orange and he started squeezing and a drop came out then it dropped and then it started running out and he squeezed it harder and it ran and ran filled up the glass just about till he got drop and a drop and he squeezed it for about 15 minutes I mean squeezed it and it quit dropping orange juice and so we, the MC said anybody want to win $100 you come if you can squeeze one drop out of that orange juice, said, we'll give you $100. And that was the drawing ticket, win $100. Little old skinny fellow in the back raised his hand. It didn't look like he had five pounds of muscles on either arm. And the MC, going to make fun of him, you know, and get the crowd going. Come on up here. Come on up here. Partner, get up here. And he made his way up there and he said, now, you going to squeeze this orange and get one drop out of it? He looked at that glass, it's full. He said, well, you probably need to bring me another glass. And the MC made fun of him and went on about him. And so uh, to make it funny, he brought another glass up there and said, give him a hand. He's going to get another glass and put a drop in it. And... Uh, so he got that orange, he looked at it, held it over that glass, and he started squeezing, twisting, and a drop came out, two drops, three drops, and it started flowing again, and he filled up that second with that crumpled up orange. And of course, the MC, he's going to have to give him $100, or he's going to have a mad crowd out there. And so he turned to the man and says, well, I'm astounded. said, uh, what do you do? He said, I'm a treasurer at a Baptist church. <laughs> now, that's unfortunate. We, we got to have a guy who can stretch and stretch and stretch and finally pay the bills. And uh, I, I'm in a lot of Baptist churches that bless their heart are in that situation. And uh, so I want to talk tonight Look at verse 9 and verse 10. Let's stand for just a moment if you're able to stand. Let me read the Word of God. I'll, I'm going to go fast. And uh, if you'll listen fast, I'll go fast. And now if you listen slow, I'll have to slow up and let you catch up with the rest of us. So listen fast. Verse 9. When you reap the harvest of your land, thou shalt not wholly reap the corners of thy field, neither shalt thou gather the gleanings of thy harvest. Thou shalt not glean thy vineyard, neither shalt thou gather every grape of thy vineyard. 
watch it now, thou shalt leave them for the poor and stranger I am the Lord your God. Father, bless thy word. Let it be clear to every hearer from the young to the old. May we understand what the word of God is saying to us tonight. Meet the need in our hearts, Father. And may we have a loving heart. Lord, as you said this morning, it's how we give that's more important than what we give. Let us give it from a cheerful heart and a loving heart, Lord, that others can hear the gospel and be saved. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. You may have a seat, and if you're sitting near a friend or a loved one, turn to them and say, I love you. Love you, Pastor. Now, throughout the Old Testament and the book of Leviticus is about the Levitical laws that God said they had to observe and do. And you'd say, well, I, I, if we had that today, nobody could live them. Well, don't tell the parents of John the Baptist that because the parents of John the Baptist kept every ordinance and every law blameless. They, they kept the law. Why? Because they loved the Lord. And they want to know what the Lord said and they want to do it His way. And But God gave very specific instructions on many things in the Old Testament. And my subject tonight is how big are your corners? How big are your corners? In Leviticus chapter 1, verse 2 and 17, the sacrifices of bullocks, sheep, and birds, God gave specific instructions on how they were to be killed. I mean, he just didn't say take a, take a cow and kill it. No, he gave specific instructions how to slay it, how to put it on the altar, how to burn it, what to do. I mean, specifically, he told in Leviticus 1, 2, and 17. Then in Exodus chapter 30, verse 34 to 38, did you know that the tabernacle had perfume? It talks about the ingredients for the perfume, how to mix them, how to make them, and how to put them together, and even talk about the the apothecary grinding things together to make it work together. God was very, very specific on what to do. The uh, anointing oil they used, that Moses used, and priests used, I think there was about five different ingredients, and even gives the weight of how much to put in a pot to grind it together to make this anointing oil, how much olive oil to put in there. I mean, God said, and, and don't let nobody else, nobody else is to make this. Not to make this. This was very specifically used for anointing all the furniture and the service of God in the temple and later in the tabernacle. Next is chapter 30, verse 22, 25 is that anointing oil. You go to Exodus 25, 1 through 9, the layout of the tabernacle. If you're ever in Lancaster, Pennsylvania, the Mennonites have set up an exact replica of uh, that temple or that tabernacle up there. And you can see the dimensions of it. If you walk around it and in it, uh, they used to have a Mennonite woman who I think was probably filled with the Holy Spirit, used to give the demonstration because she'd get off and preach a little bit, and, uh, and uh, uh, now they got it all recorded. It's not as exciting as a live person telling the story of But there was specific. It told, told how many tent 
pegs to half, all the sockets. I mean, everything was down to a measurement. God was very, very specific on laying out the tabernacle. This was interesting, I found. Numbers chapter 2, verses 1 to 34, the layout of the tents. Which tribes was to be the east, west? Which tribe would be the north, the south? Uh, how were they laid out? And uh, uh, he was very specific in telling, if you're a member of this tribe, you're on this side of the, the tabernacle. If you're a member of this tribe, you're on this side. I mean, God told them where to put their tent, amen, and they were to be in a straight line, not scattered around in a circle. And if you viewed it from the top, if you viewed it from an airplane, you know what the shape of that tabernacle in the middle and those tribes, it was a picture of a cross right there, carried throughout the wilderness. God did that. Well, you'd have to add all the numbers, and they give specific numbers of all the male children over 25 that were in those tribes. You can add those together, and you'll find out how many were on this side and this side, and it looks like a cross. Leviticus chapter 12, verse 1 through 3, God was very specific on the circumcision of each male baby was to be done on the eighth day. Not the sixth, not the five, not the nine or ten, the eighth day. And they had to go. And we know Jesus was carried by his mother and his foster daddy there into the temple and he was circumcised on the eighth day. Probably the first time that Jesus' blood was given to fulfill the Abrahamic covenant that God had made with Abraham. And so uh, it was very interesting. I preached that one time and a nurse came to me and said, you know, on the eighth day that the potassium level of the of a baby it reaches its peak at the eighth day and its immunities are at a high level and God chose the very day to protect the baby when he was circumcised. God was very, very specific. He didn't leave it to chance. The, the cubit was from the high priest's longest finger to his elbow and as they married in the Levitical family, that stature of the Levitical priest was always just about the same. And so their body dimensions were about the same. I saw a recent uh, picture uh, broadcast of one of the priests there in Israel and he looked uh, a smaller man. I said, that's probably the same size that Aaron was or Moses. And so uh, God had it all planned. In Exodus chapter 30, verse 17 21, you got the hygienic rules. You know, wash your hands. I'm glad science picked up and, and got, a, got a little bit up par of what God said to do. And they found this out, I think, when the bubonic plague was in Europe. Um, the fleas carried over into, carried by mice that were getting on people and biting, causing the bubonic plague. And in the hospitals there, they found if they went and serviced a patient, came back and washed their hands, then they didn't spread the disease. 
And so God already had that plan. Leviticus 15 and 11, the sanitary rules were that when you made a sacrifice at an altar or you touched the blood of an animal, you were to wash your hands as soon as possible uh, and, and so you wouldn't spread any disease or whatever that might have been in the blood of that animal. Now, God was real specific, real specific on a lot of things in the Old Testament. But look at Leviticus 19. When you reap the harvest land, thou shalt not wholly reap the corners of thy field. He didn't say how big the corners had to be. Now listen, I have a feeling some of those, and what was the reason for this and the gleaning? If, if the harvest of barley fell on the ground, uh, the master of the field was not to pick it up. It was left there for who? Well, it tells us, verse 10, for the poor and stranger. And this was God's way of providing for widows, for the poor and for strangers who were seeking asylum in the country of Israel to have something they had to work for it though. You remember the story of Ruth and Boaz? What a wonderful love story that is. And Ruth goes out to get something to eat. Now, what, what, what do you, where do you think she went? Well, you know, here, I'm going to give you a thought. I think Boaz was the kind of man that made his corners real big. And I think the poor people there in Bethlehem and if any stranger came in, like Ruth, well, uh, you know, she goes out and leaves Naomi's house and she goes out there and there's these widows going, these poor women, and, and there's a stranger there. I can tell he's a stranger. He's got on different garb and, and uh, they're going to the field. I'm going to follow them. I think most of the strangers and the poor and the widows went to Boaz's field because I believe he had big corners. There might have been a, a rich man there who had small corners. And he could. It's up to him. God, God didn't say how big to make your corners. God left it up to the landowner. God left it up to the person receiving the income to decide how big should I make my corners or how small should I make my corners. And uh, when we give to missions, who are the poor and the strange? Well, that's the lost people. Look at this globe. Lost people around the world. I hope it don't fall. Lost people around the world. And when we give to missions, you know what we're doing? We are sending the gospel to a poor person, to a stranger, to people who do not know the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And you know, they, they may live in big houses, but they definitely are poor in God's eyes because they're not a child of God. Oh, listen, I, I, I went into, I was invited into Nicaragua right after uh, Chamora had been, the woman had been elected president of Nicaragua and uh, she, she had a, uh, a democratic government as opposed to a communistic government that Daniel Ortega had and so the country's opening up 
and the Sandinista political party had been in control and Daniel Ortega uh, was their prime leader, their president. And uh, so we flew into Managua from Miami, Florida, and uh, they picked us up in a old school bus and I saw Chinese uh, trucks, Chinese helicopters, all kinds of uh, foreign infiltration into the country. And they drove us north up to uh, Esteli, Nicaragua. And they, and they, they had uh, got with the mayor of the city and set up a big gospel tent. And probably 1,500 could easily sit under it. And the churches of Good Samaritan Baptist Missions uh, had contracted these cattle trucks. And anybody in their church and friends who wanted to come to that could come a ride on the truck into Esteli and attend the meeting that drive them back home that night. And so I, I, I had prayed, I had uh, fasted, because I knew uh, there was many preachers going to be with us, five or six preachers, and I'd probably have one night to preach. And uh, when I got there, we got in the bus, leaving the, the uh, Managua, leaving the, uh, the capital of Nicaragua, uh, the missionary leader came to me and said, Brother Randy, I've been praying. I want you to preach tonight. And so I'm going to preach on Monday night. And so uh, uh, I don't know if you know much about Latin music, but boy, they like to swing. <laughs> they had to, uh, what, uh, oh, uh, Purdy sings a song, crank up the music, let's have church. And boy, they cranked the music up. You could hear it all over Esteli, big town. They're a capital city in the north. Uh, and boy, it was rocking. I mean, going. And uh, then he said, uh, he announced, uh, we're going to have uh, Brother Randy Bell, Chattanooga, Tennessee, come and bring our message. He said that in Spanish. And so I got up, and he acted as my interpreter. And uh, I got to preaching. I got to thinking. And I, and I saw a little Indian girl standing over here. She had been bust in, Pastor. And the Holy Spirit spoke to my heart and said, make it plain, simple as you can because she has never heard the gospel before. And boy, God spoke to my heart about that. So I got up and I'm preaching and I've got about three pages of notes. You know, I'm ready to preach because they'd stay all night. And um, I, I preached about hell I preached about how to get saved, what Jesus did to save us. I gave a real clear presentation of the gospel. You've got to admit you're lost, admit you're a sinner. You've got to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. You need to call upon God, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And I gave a clear, and then God directed me towards hell, that you don't want to die in this condition. You don't want to die like this. My goodness, if you died tonight and you're lost, you're going to open your eyes in hell. And I gave an illustration of a policeman, a Georgia State Patrol in our church when I pastored in Tallapoosa. I had preached on hell one morning, and he came to me. He said, Brother Randy, can I tell you a story? And I said, yes, sir. He said, uh, um, I was working one night over there in Harrison County, Georgia, and said it was a single car accident. I got a call. Dispatcher called me. I knew where the road was. I knew where the curve was. 
And this guy had gone around the curve and missed the curve, went off and hit tree. But the problem was gasoline started leaking. The car was down like this, and gasoline started leaking. It broke a fuel line, and it caught on fire. And he said, I saw the fire when I made the turn. I slammed my car stop. I got out, I went to my trunk, got out my fire extinguisher, and I ran down there to try to, and I couldn't open the door. The door, and the steering wheel was, had him pinned, and he was hollering to me, get me out, get me out. And I mean the flame, he said the flames started burning, and they burned back on him so much that the man finally said, and this is what I preached to them there in Nicaragua that night, the, the man said, shoot me. Get your pistol and shoot me. Shoot me. Kill me now. And Brother Benny Westmoreland said, Sir, I can't do that. I can't save you. They'd already put a call in for the police, for the fire department to come because it was a fire wreck. And uh, the guy died in Benny's presence, burned to death. Benny said, I'll never forget that smell. And about the time, I'd only been preaching about 15 minutes. The Holy Spirit says, okay, Randy, that's enough. <clears throat> I looked at two more pages, and I said, uh, Lord, are you sure? <laughs> uh, I, I, you know, I've traveled 1,000 miles, 1,500 miles down here to preach, and you're asking me to stop. And uh, so I obeyed God. I stopped. I looked at our missionary. I said, I believe you need to give an invitation right now. And I stepped back. And he started giving invitation. The band cranked up a little bit. And a wave of about 50 people came. Got around the altar and prayed to be saved. And the workers from all those churches came and prayed with them. Then they took them out to a church bus and got their name and address and where they live. And they gave those cards to all those pastors that were there so they could do follow-up with them to get them in church and get them where they should be. And when that group left, uh, the missionary, he's, he's preached just a little bit, maybe two minutes, and gave another invitation. Here come another group down. And they got saved. Why do I want to make my corners big that I can feed the poor and the strangers? Feed the poor and the strangers. God. God, I believe Boaz had big corners. And because of that, I believe who landed on that field, I believe it was little Ruth. And she's there working. And old Boaz, Caesar, he talks to his supervisor. Uh, who, who is that woman? I said, well, that's that Moabitess. You know, she's a daughter-in-law of Naomi, you know, kin to you, Boaz. And and uh, she's over here, and she hasn't stopped working. She only stopped one time and went to the house and got a drink of water and come back. She'd been working steadily hard. And Boaz is on his big horse, you know. You got this picture, Jacob? He's on his big horse, and he rides over that field, looks at her, goes back and see the supervisor, probably. And when he sees the supervisor, supervisor said, well, boss, what do you think? And I think he said one Hebrew word that we don't use too much, Shazam. <laughs> I think he fell in love with her. Now look, he didn't make his, his corners big 
to get a wife or benefit. He did it because God's word said, however you choose to make your corner big, God surely is going to bless you for that. And he made his corners big, and look what he got. He bought all of Naomi's, Elimelech's land, got all of it, and along with it as a benefit came a wife, Ruth. And they got married, you know, and had a baby, Obed, and he had a baby named Jesse, and had a baby named David, who would be the first or the second king of Israel. And uh, what, a, what a miraculous, miraculous thing. You know, it's a, it's a funny thing, funny thing about marriage. Adam went into deep sleep and woke up and found out he was married and been through surgery. <laughs> Jacob got married and didn't turn on the light inside the tent and next day found out he married the wrong woman and had to work some more to get the right one. This marriage can be a confusing thing. <laughs> <laughs> oh, here's, here's the situation. If you sow spiritual things, you'll reap spiritual things. And if you sow, if you sow, what, what you reap is more than what you sow. Every farmer knows that. If he didn't, that wasn't the truth. He wouldn't be out there sowing all those soybeans out there. You always reap more than what you sow. And you always reap a little later in life. Can I give you, let me give you a scripture here. Uh, Luke 6, 38. You know this one. Give, and it shall be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over shall men give into your bosom. With the same measure you meet, with all it shall be measured to you again. And so it's a fact. God's law is... If we'll sow the right things, you'll reap those things more abundantly than what you sow. Why do we, why do we take our money, take our time, and give it to somebody in far off country so they can hear the word of God from a man of God? That's why we give. And how do we give? We give from our income, our field. And if we'll make our corners big, if you're giving, I don't know, $50 a, a month, can you make it 60 If you're giving $100 a month to the mission program here, could you give 120 110 I'm just talking about making your corners big. Nowhere in the Word of God does it tell how they measured a corner, but I think they did this when it came to harvest time. The master of the field went out and put a stob and took his foreman and said, here, to the corner there to here. And he walked over there to that wall and put a stob down. And he said, just cut a strip right across here and the poor and the strangers can have that. When you give, God will bless. I'm going to tell you a little funny story that happened in El Salvador. Then I'm going to give you one more verse and let you think about what I preached. How big are your corners? How big are your corners? I was uh, in uh, Tegucigalpa, which is the capital city of Honduras, and we're having a radiothon. We had a radio. Uh, there is a radio system there, the Good Samaritan radio system. 
and uh, they have a main studio in the capital city, and they send it by microwave up to the top of a mountain, and from there it's sent out to other repeater stations. Now, Moody Bible Institute uh, does the same thing here throughout Georgia. They have repeater stations. And the repeater station picks up the signal, the gospel signal, sends it down to the, to the, to the equipment below and magnifies it, sends it back up a tower and sends it out on a different wavelength. So it's a repeater station. <clears throat> I was preaching. I was staying in a little hotel just a block or two from the studio there in Tegucigalpa. And, uh, and uh, the missionary was with me and some of the radio workers were there. And uh, it was like a call-in program. And churches in the Good Samaritan system would, would have a, a small bucket or something or a jug where they'd collect, you know, change or uh, sometimes uh, the, the, the currency of Honduras. And then during that radiothon, they'd send somebody and send it to the station. When they brought it to the station there in Tegucigalpa, then they'd announce over the radio that the El Bethel Baptist Church gave, you know, so much money to help us. And so, uh, so during that time, I'm in the studio getting my next sermon ready, and uh, I see through the glass uh, the, the announcer, the guy that's on the, the board, and he motions the missionary to come. And, I mean, both of them are getting excited, happy. And uh, so when the missionary got back into the studio, I said, what, what did you hear? Did you get a phone call? He said, we didn't think our station went to El Salvador. But we got a call from El Salvador. And this guy told us what he did. He had his radio. They were up in the mountains. And the station's way over there in Tegucigalpa, the capital of Honduras. And we were in a, like a mountain and made a little cove. And we picked up that all the way from Tegucigalpa. He said it was really a, a marvelous thing. We could do it. And we liked your music so much, we'd get up at 6 o'clock in the morning, turn it on full blast. I mean, he, we'd turn the speakers towards the village, that mountain village. And said we got started getting good comments from our neighbors. And he'd leave it on to 10 o'clock at night. I mean, it was playing gospel music to a group of people who had never heard the gospel message before. And lo and behold, uh, <clears throat> he decided this is a good thing. And it was like a repeater station. He was picking up with his radio and he was then blasting it out uh, to all the village. So he climbed up the big tree in front of his house and uh, he, he, he bought some big speakers. And he climbed up the tree, he got those secured up in there, run the wire down to that radio we had. And boy, that morning when he turned it on, everybody in the city heard the gospel message, whether they wanted to or not. <laughs> well, a couple, about a week or so later, a couple of drunks came by. And uh, they met him at the gate. He said, you're going to have to turn that off or we're going to take it down. And the owner said, look, this is my property. I put them up there. Don't you come on my property. He said, these are my speakers. Don't you mess with my wires, my speakers. And uh, uh, they said, we'll take it down. 
Well, at every station we have, there are guards that are paid and they usually live by there. They're a member of the local church, maybe a man who didn't have a job and he watches it and he's got a shotgun because when those drunks get, get uh, active down in those Latin American countries, first thing they want to do is tear up something. <laughs> and they'll try to bring the tower down if they could. And so we always hired guards. So well, this didn't have any guards. So one night, they snuck up to the house, climbed the tree, and the speaker's about three or four feet above them, but what they didn't know was that God put a hornet's nest between them and the speakers. And the owner said, I came out of the house hearing them running down the street that night and the street lights were showing a big bunch of hornets chasing him. You know what? God would love to have a lot of people to have big corners and give it to the poor and strangers so they could hear the gospel. Let me give you a verse and I'll say a little prayer and we'll close. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 9 and 10. I might read verse 7. That, any, look, look in your Bible with me. Chapter 3, verse 7. Proverbs, look in your Bible. Between the number 7 and the word, first word be, be not wise in thine own eyes, Anybody got a funny looking symbol in there? Who's got a Bible that's got a funny looking symbol? You do, you do, Mary. She does. Back in the back. Yes. Now, not every Bible has it, and it's not necessary to have it. But let me tell you what that is. That's called in the English language a pilcrow. I don't know why it's called that, but it marks the paragraph. It's a paragraph marker. And from verse 7. Down to where's the next one? Verse 11. That means 7, 8, 9, and 10 are one paragraph. When Solomon wrote this, he probably came out of his prayer room with these four verses on a piece of papyrus. And that got added to the book of Proverbs. I don't think he wrote the entire book of Proverbs at one time. That'd be a monumental task. He could have under God's direction, but I believe he wrote it in sections, paragraph at a time. When I write a book, I don't write, sit down and write the book a whole time. I do an outline of what I'm going to write, and I'll do a chapter or two or three pages. The next day, two or three more pages, and I'll go back and review the last three pages. I mean, so, so verse 7, Be not wise in thine own eyes. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. And it shall be health to thy navel and marrow to thy bones. You know what your marrow produces? Your blood. Your marrow produces the, the inside of your bones is called marrow and the blood system flows in it and there is where our marrow is, our blood system is created. The blood is created in the marrow. Look at verse nine. Honor the Lord with thy substance and with the first fruits of all thine increase so shall thy barns be filled with plenty, and thy presses shall burst out with new wine, new grape juice. You know what he said? Make your corners big. You gave $5 every month last month. Why don't you give six or seven? 
Increase it. Make your corners bigger and see if God doesn't bless you. You'd say, well, I'm, I'm on social security preacher and I, I, there's no way it's going to be increased. <laughs> God might stop some of those doctor visits and pharmacy bills and might start giving you good health and strength, it says here. And this is a promise from God. <laughs> and so it's faith in what God has said that we act upon. Faith is some things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen, for by it the elders obtained a good report. And you can get a good report by having faith in God. Give some of y'all a little bit of help and hope. Close my Bible. I had a guy one time said, Preacher, I can't tithe, I can't give. And I said, uh, Well, how much do you make? We sat down in conference and he told me how many made, and I said, I don't see why you can't give. I said, Wednesday night, I want you to meet again with me, and I want to see how much your utilities are, your insurance, your bills, on everything by the month. I already know what your income is on the month. He said, Preacher, I've tried it. I said, All right, let me do this for you then. If you'll tithe at the beginning of the month, what your income, your gross income would be, I'll make up for it if you have a bill that comes due. He said, Preacher, you'd do that for me? I said, yeah. If you'll tithe and give to God, if you end up with a bill you can't pay, you come see me, I'll write a check to that company to pay the bill. He said, Preacher, that is great said, I'll do it. And I looked at him and I said, what? You going to trust me more than you trust God? <laughs> I must be pretty big in your eyes and I'm not. You need to trust God, but I'll still do it. And you know what he did? That made him watch where his money went. We, we often say, well, I don't have any money. <clears throat> money talks. Did you know that? says goodbye. It talks. It says goodbye. And it'll go out little at a time, little at a time. You know, watch where it goes. You'll be poor and not able to honor God. Here is a promise from the richest man possibly that's ever lived on earth, Solomon. Honor the Lord with our substance and our first fruits. Father, help us to see if our Corners can be made bigger than what they are this year. And this next harvest, Lord, let us widen our corners, make our corners big, Lord, that we may serve you. Lord, to see those poor people coming, they don't have anything, and here I've got a field, and Lord, they come and they glean it and they cut it, and then they beat it and they, they winnow it, and then they grind it up and they eat it and have something to eat. Lord, help us do the same with the gospel. May the gospel be sent from this church to all these missionaries as church is helping. And may we see souls saved. And in heaven one day, we'll meet some people we never knew on earth, but they'll meet us in heaven because somebody cared for their soul. Save the lost. Heal those that are sick. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen.